Hi, welcome back to the latest instalment in the Missing B series here on First Time Films. Last time we introduced um, everyone to what this is going to be about, the historical erasure of the male bisexual in Hollywood cinema. And we also talked about how the literature surrounding cinema, the academic discourse, has helped contribute to that erasure. Um, but today we're going to go back into more of the texts themselves where we look at what we're deeming sexual transgression in pre-2000s depictions of male bisexuals. And it starts off again with Richard Dyer, who in stereotyping summarises the stereotypical portrayals of LGBTQ plus characters that defined early representations in mainstream cinema and their relationship to public perception. He states... Gay people have resented and attacked the images of homosexuality in films for as long as we have managed to achieve any self-respect. The principal line of attack has been on stereotyping. There is plenty of evidence to suggest that stereotypes are not merely just put out in books and films, but are widely agreed upon and believed to be right. All right, and this is an argument later clarified by Rob Cover, who explains that stereotyping is a reduction of unique individuality and diversity into wrongful notions of group behaviour, therefore leading to portrayals that were inauthentic and misguiding to mainstream audiences at the time. Notice too how, once again, Dyer talks of gay people. Uh, since the representation of LGBTQ plus people were so few and far between in this period, differentiating across the sexual spectrum was not something that was deemed necessary by film theorists and critics at the time. And this, of course, links back to what we we're talking about in the last episode of this podcast. Now, speaking more generally about the representation of gay male characters, uh, Ben Schoff and Griffin's assessment that most movies made in America before the 1960s rarely acknowledged the existence of queer people is an accurate one as heavy censorship was in place at this point in time to prevent the depiction of what was coined as sexual transgression. As such, there were a few mainstream films that actually featured gay characters, and when they did, they were usually heavily stereotypical and never explicitly shown as being interested in men sexually, such as the character of Joe, Joe Cairo, for example, in 1941's The Maltese Falcon. This did begin to change as the century progressed, culminating in the release of mainstream successes such as Philadelphia, which featured a homosexual man with AIDS as its central protagonist in 1993. However, whilst the 20th century did see an increase in the representation of gay men on screen, many featured tragic endings for their characters. Now, Sam Rasden writes that an entirely positive ending for a gay character would no doubt be considered risky for alienating the wider heterosexual population and therefore many historically catered to this audience by having their characters perish by the end of the story. Now, as such, whilst representation for gay men in film did become more frequent throughout the 20th century, it was still fighting against the tide of public opinion, and thus these portrayals and their authenticity suffered for it. Now, more specific to this study... There are few examples in cinema before the year 2000 that feature representations of explicit male bisexuality, with the, the few films in question often framing these characters as transgressive, criminal or seedy. 
Now, one of the ripest examples of this is within temporary transvestite films, which Chris Strayer defines as films in which characters cross-dress for disguise before typically ending with a traditional heterosexual coupling. Now, he then goes on to explain how the disguises of characters within these films often becomes a detriment to their efforts in courting a member of the opposite sex, and therefore, the re-institutionalisation of heterosexuality after progressing through some stage of unstable gender and unstable sexuality, to quote him, is necessary in the film's third act. Now, that Strayer would refer to the, this instability at this stage suggests that sexual ambiguity has no place in the temporary transvestite film and that eventually the binary between homosexuality and heterosexuality must be restored by the end of these texts. Now, the implication of a bisexual existence is therefore played for laughs within the temporary transvestite film as it is a space of transgression that the audience can safely enjoy whilst also knowing that social order will be restored by the time the film is over for the point of view of uh, a heterosexual or more specifically homophobic audience for that time now. However, this wasn't always the case and there is evidence of bisexuality emerging in films at the times when the disguise of the main character has been removed. Now, often heralded as a typical example of the temporary transvestite film is Billy Wilder's Some Like It Hot. Uh, starring Marilyn Monroe alongside Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon, the film follows the characters of Joe and Jerry as they pretend to be members of an all-girl jazz band in order to escape from the mob. Now, whilst the film's ending has often been ripe for comment and analysis, it is worth exploring in reasonable depth here, as it does reveal a lot about how this genre of cinema treated or viewed sexual transgression. Now, as Joe and Jerry escape from the clutches of the mobsters at the film's climax, Osgood Fielding, who has grown attracted to Jerry's alter ego Daphne, attempts to make plans to marry his love. However, after growing increasingly agitated by Osgood dismissing every one of their excuses not to get married, Jerry takes off his wig and proclaims that he is a man, to which Osgood nonchalantly replies, well, nobody's perfect. Now, while the line combined with Joey Brown's deadpan delivery is enough to potentially confirm the character of Osgood as bisexual, of more significance is the way in which Jack Lemmon's Jerry reacts to the proclamation, both baffled and disgusted by Osgood's comment. The hypocrisy of the temporary transvestite film is thusly exposed, whilst audiences are encouraged to laugh at Joe and Jerry's hijinks as they feign attraction to men in order to maintain their safety. Any legitimate hint at transgression from heterosexuality is met with outrage. As established, the conventions of the temporary transvestite film dictate the implication of same-sex attraction is only acceptable under the guise of comedy and that it is only a temporary occurrence. However, with Osgood's reaction confirming that he is unfazed by the gender of his sexual partner, a double standard is established wherein bisexuality can remain the punchline of the joke whilst also being met with disgust. In this moment, Osgood represents both a comical figure and a transgressive threat to moral sexuality that must be met with reproachfulness by the characters around him. With this being said, if the existence of bisexuality in text is only considered acceptable in its temporary state, 
what happens when a film is released that features a fully realised bisexual character as his lead? Now, released in 1975, the Rocky Horror Picture Show is described as challenging viewers across generations uh, to accept non-dominant expressions of sexuality, sexual attitudes and gender roles by Kimball Hart and Dunn in 2012. Having said this, while it may appear for some to be a rejection of the sexual conservatism of the temporary transvestite film, Jim Sharman's film ends up inadvertently reinforcing the same stereotypes which shaped the ideologies of those earlier texts. Now, after newly engaged couple Brad and Janet's car breaks down in the vicinity of a large mansion, they enter to find a gathering of eccentric and atypically dressed people performing a song called The Time Warp. Exposure to the raunchiness of the routine causes Janet to temporarily faint. Clearly a tongue-in-cheek mock on the Puritan society, the film takes aim at. Now, this number is followed by the introduction of Dr. Frankenfurter, who descends down an elevator, his appearance causing Janet to scream in abject horror. He then pronounces himself as a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania and invites the couple to accompany him to his lab to see his creation, a man who he claims is good for relieving his tension. Now, Frankenfurter's appearance in this film uh, is probably the film's first problematic element regarding an accurate depiction of male bisexuality on screen, as has been established. The temporary transvestite film already drew a misleading correlation between transvesticism and bisexuality, implying that sexual fluidity could only exist through the means of cross-dressing and was not a stable and fixed sexuality in of itself. Now, as such, this misrepresentation is further solidified by the portrayal of Frankenfurter because in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, neither the doctor's cross-dressing nor his bisexuality is temporary, there is an implied correlation that the permanence of one will lead to the permanence of the other, further misleading connecting between the two, as was seen in those earlier works. Now, while his introduction does well in setting up the core conflict of the film's narrative, i.e. the Puritan central couple rallying against the eccentricities of their hosts, of most significance to this study is a pair of mirrored scenes Frankenfurter shares with Janet and Brad respectively later in the film. Forced to sleep in separate rooms, Janet is watched by Frankenfurter's underlings Magenta and Columbia over a monitor. Once again, a correlation is drawn between bisexuality and seediness, implying the actions the pair are about to witness are as transgressive and wrong because of the immoral and invasive way in which they are viewing them. Now, as Janet lies in bed, Brad enters the room attempting to seduce her. However, she soon realises this is actually Frankenfurter in disguise. She tells him to stop and cries for help, yet Frankenfurter does not relent, instead continuing his assault. Eventually, after further insistence from Frankenfurter, Janet agrees to sleep with him as long as he doesn't tell Brad about it. Immediately after this, Brad lies in his own bed as who he believes is Janet comes into the room. The dialogue when Brad discovers Frankenfurter's true identity exactly mimics that of the previous scene and Brad too eventually agrees to have sex with Frankenfurter after the doctor tells him that there's no crime in giving yourself over to pleasure. Having left her room, Janet sees Brad and Frankenfurter in bed together on a monitor and almost mournfully laments what her fiancé has done. 
Now, this pair of scenes, whilst explicitly demonstrating the bisexuality of Frank and Furter as a character, reinforces many negative stereotypes around bisexual men, namely that they are predatory, sex-crazed and devious. Also, the seedy, dimly lit setting adds to the nature of these scenes. The setting evokes pornography or prostitution, accentuating the parallel between bisexuality and illegality that was established in earlier films like John Schlesinger's Midnight Cowboy, for example. Now, moreover, the outraged reaction of Janet and Brad once Frank and Furter reveals himself mimics Jack Lemmon's reaction at the end of Some Like It Hot, in that transgression from heterosexuality is only acceptable until it becomes explicit. After this, it is something to be approached with abject horror, as we've stated before. Indeed, the, fra- the fact that Frank and Furter is the most identifiable example of a male bisexual character in the canon of mainstream cinema is a problematic one, as Sam Lawton writes... Positive bisexual representations are important because the stigma caused by negative portrayals impact by people's mental and even physical health. Bisexual men in particular are stigmatised when compared with gay men, lesbians and bisexual women. Surveys show they are at the bottom of the pile when it comes to people's attitudes about them. Now, by framing Frankenfurter in this way, the Rocky Horror Picture Show contributes to the negative stereotypes and misrepresentation of the male bisexual on screen that continued even throughout the 90s with the release of 1999's The Talented Mr Ripley, framing bisexuality as a way in which a dishonest crook could better himself in life, linking back to the supposed transgressiveness of Osgood and the salaciousness of Frankenfurter. While portrayals of bisexuality in American mainstream cinema before the year 2000 were varied in their misrepresentation as we've laid out with these examples. They all share in their suggestion that a transgression of heterosexual normality is against the laws of nature and therefore wrong. Having said this, what also characterises this time is that bisexuality was not alone, as portrayals of homosexuality in mainstream cinema were also seldom and similarly plagued by misrepresentation and stereotypical characters. However, the early 2000s would see a turning point in the representation of LGBTQ plus characters in film that would transform the problem faced by the bisexual male community in cinema from one of misrepresentation to outright erasure. And that is what we're going to discuss next time when we take a look at the text itself and the discourse surrounding Brokeback Mountain. And we'll see you then. Cheers for listening.